This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Quite an act to follow. So I'll just say one thing that I asked um, Shirley Besser for some questions. Just you know, During the week, there wasn't so many questions that came in. Recently, Thursday, Friday, a lot did. But before that, I asked him for some questions. And he sent me a list of questions. And it was amazing that none of the questions which apply to these schools on, on, on big cities and issues going on applied to us. So I could not use any of the questions because Cincinnati, Baruch Hashem, and what we've created here, and, and, and the shul made it such that these questions were not something that really were negated to us, so I think. So we used questions really just came from the Eilam, and any question that you think is a little scandalous, that came from out of town. But it's a big schuss to be here. Um, I think for a couple of years now, we're trying to get the reshiva and, and to finally have it happen. It's, uh, it's tremendous, and like the Rebbe was saying, five years ago, I think when that good started, that we started having a watch party here for men to watch it together, and with, you know, some mechalim and stuff, and you know, to, to fabring and get together and listen to the answers, and it's something that everybody really, really enjoyed. Um, so there were different topics. Most topics came for chinuch, parnasa, um, personal growth. So we'll just you know go through um, a little bit random. We'll pick them out. Um, the first question that came in was really based on the events of last week, the, the Mehron tragedy. Um, I think there's. I read the Rashiva wrote a beautiful piece in, in the Mishpacha that I was able to read over Shabbos. But really, the questions came to how do we talk to our kids? We're all ourselves trying to process what happened. How do we as parents? Um, both tell our kids about it. We're in a shtetl here, the kids don't see the news, so they don't know so much as maybe they, they would in other cities, but they still know about it, and how do we go ahead and, and give them both a sense of safety and still be able to talk about that, that and also what could we tell them that we could do as a family in order to lezeich nishmas the people who are not there. Um, that's quite a tall order. Um, being able to speak to children about events like this depends on the age, depends on the child a lot of times, it depends what else he's gonna hear. Um, I think some important kalalim are to speak more general, and not to go through gory details, um, to speak in a voice that's appropriate on the one hand, it's obviously something that's um, devastating. On the other hand, a child cannot see a parent fall apart. In other words, it has to be a certain control. And I think a focus of what can I do to somewhere be mishtativ and feel it has affected me. Whether for the next week or two weeks, I'm going to Dabmer Fa'inu and have a mind and say that. Whether it means um, I'll, I'll uh, accept it by myself not to speak bad about anybody for the next two weeks or so. Things of that nature helps them funnel, gives them a sense that something's being done. It's hard to cope with something that you're helpless because then all the focus is on how devastating it is. Um, once you give it a certain focus, and it's important for these things that the focus be relatively short-term. I'll never ever, um, doesn't work. And uh, never ever, never ever works. But uh, in, in, in giving a two-week period, if, it, if that's an appropriate time, up to a month maybe, is something that helps him, it helps the child feel they're doing something for it. Something that Elon Nishmas, the people that passed away, and, um, something that's a source for, for the other people. So speaking generalities about it, um, maintaining a sense of proper emotional resonance without a sense of losing yourself, and focusing on something that you're doing. I think I'm going to do this and this, or I started doing this for a for both the people that have passed away and the people that are living. I think those, that's a, a general way to possibly approach it. Okay. 
My oldest recently became bar mitzvah. Mine became bar mitzvah a long, long time ago. That's not my question. Um, I'm struggling with how to define my evolving role in his growth. To what degree is his relationship with Hashem my responsibility? And how much do I push him as his father? So I think we need to distinguish between responsibility or execution. Um, it is your responsibility as long as you're a father, and certainly in this age, that's definitely your responsibility. However, a parent in that age is rarely the effective um, executor of, of that. Um, the reason is, a child in that age is going through the alkenyas of Ishazavasimo. He's pushing away, he's pulling away, because that's that's the nature. And the, the father be both his mentor, Rebbe, actively, is not, doesn't work well. It means choosing the right Rebbeim, right person, and also understanding that if you have your values and you practice them sincerely, someday the child will retroactively connect to it. If, 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 if you lead a serious star life, even if the child is, is kind of, doesn't seem to be quote unquote walking in footsteps, but if it's sincere and it's real, then the day his own emotions and, and, and personality crystallize, he will follow that. So picking Rebbeim and mentors and people that have a on him is the, is the, the best practical thing you can do. Um, presenting yourself in, in the way that you want to be yourself and obviously the way you'd like him to do is, is really will have a profound influence. Even speaking what you think and understand and he will vehemently disagree, I assure you. Um, and someday, they will become his thoughts. If, you, if it becomes a war, there will be a wedge, and that's a problem. But if you express your values with passion and so on, a lot of times they'll, they'll resist, you know, it'll, it'll go further or less. But when the time comes, um, the, the, a child will um, will follow unless there was some serious issue. It, it, that's the that's the nature of things. So making sure that the people have direct influence, the things they tell him, the things they expect of him, and and so on, is is very crucial. And you being yourself in the positive way that you want to be, and and and, and expressing it, but not expressing it in a way where it's me against you and I'm telling you this way you have to be, but expressing yourself and your values in time. That really begins to grow. And in the short term, let's say, you know, it's 8.35, the last Shachas is town is 8.30, it's an off Sunday, not moving from bed, you want him to wear tzitzis, playing basketball when his friends aren't, where do you draw the line of pushing as his father slash maybe mashkiach, or letting him make his own decisions with things like that? So there are a few considerations. A you have X amount of battles you would win. So choosing them wisely is good. Um, you also want to know, are you expecting something from him that none of his friends do? Or are you expecting something that all of his friends do? Is, is he bucking the norm? Or are you trying to get him to be different? That's a very important consideration. Also, talking to a child, let's say about davening or something like that. Let's say he comes to Ben Azmanim and you tell him, you know, oh, it's so nice to have you, so on. And then you can ask him, what do you expect of yourself, Ben Asmanim? What are the things you expect you would do? It's always helpful. So even if he's, if his expectation of himself is a bit shorter, what you would want. But if he really says, this is what I expect, then when, when you kind of are telling him, you know, we're about to miss our deadline, it's a little easier because he set that deadline himself. I tell a lot of times when it comes to how long can kids be on, on a computer? And I, I sit down with the kid and say, listen, we, we both agree that 25 hours a day is, is not appropriate for a computer. How much time do you need for school? How much time that? Even if the child is very makele on school, a machma on how much computer time he needs. 
But as long as it's within a reason, you, you want to hold him or her accountable to their own standards. It depending on the maturity of a kid, but it, it, the more the kid learns to express an understanding that he has to take some achrayas and so on, the much better the process is. So you'd like to involve him, you can sit down and, and you can say, you know, Baruch Hashem, we're proud of you, we heard good things in Shiva. Ben Azman was always kind of a bit time off. Tell us what you expect of yourself and how much, you know, a child will always say, I want to make shachas every day. And you can ask him, do you want me to help you? If you don't, if, if it's not going, what, you know, what, what would be the, and I think the more he's on board and it's something that he's part of, I think you, you, it's much more effective. Excellent. Switching gears to um, work, Parnassa, any question here that in the book, a certain site, a certain page number, I could just say, see page 49. <laughs> when it comes to our livelihoods, not only does it consume an obviously significant part of the time during the day, but it also commands our outside of work hours. When it comes to our learning, even with Siddharam, it's a challenge to have the Torah occupy our minds once the Gemaras are closed. What thoughts or suggestions does Rashiva have to try to keep the Torah beyond the hour or two that we're able to learn it during the day, but to keep it involved while we're in the middle of, of just our daily routine, our daily nine to five? So it depends a lot on the person, but for instance, someone who's got a, a, a decent level in learning and can sort of enjoys working on a challenge of thinking about a question and working through some some kasha. Things that you find um, interesting and challenging and, and, and try once a day when you're walking somewhere, doing something, um, not when you're driving, and to do something along the lines of trying to mull over, getting used to the idea of mulling over things and coming up with an answer, possibly, um, coming up with a Torah. If you get if you get used to that exercise, your mind will enjoy it. It's very hard to just think about dry Gemara. It's much easier to think about some question that's if if you if you have that type of mind. So, or if if you find a kash and chumish and you want to try to puzzle out and say some sort of terrors or challenge yourself to come up every week with some sort of point on the parasha. Anything which is a challenge and requires active use of the mind, and, and again, doing it, taking small <coughs> achievements at a time, like uh, uh, 10 minutes once a day or five minutes once a day, is also something that will get you going on the process. People who have jobs that they have to do a lot of networking or business development. They often find themselves in you know, bars or, or trade for restaurants as part of the job of having to see clients and trying to um, you know, get them to sign on in, in this situation. How does one deal with you know, having a Yamaga going in there? Obviously he knows there's not a lot of order and things like that, but how does he get into the mindset of this is what I have to do for my family, this is my Parnassa? How does he, he do that, knowing that he's a man who learned in yeshiva, and this is where he is now in his career? It, it, it's obviously, it's a, it's, a difficult, uh, it, it's a difficult position to be in. Um, let me share a story I once read from somebody who was in the Warsaw Ghetto. And I think his name was, I think it was Martha Prager, I'm not sure, he wrote, Maybe he wrote he wrote Sfarim, and he said that he was once walking in the Warsaw Ghetto on a Shabbos morning, and a Chassidah Shayid was walking by, smoking a cigarette. And he looks at him and he says, Yankel, it's Shabbos. The guy looked at him, looked at him, and then he burst out laughing hysterically. Like he was stunned. And, and then he said he realized what happened. He said, Shabbos in the ghetto was not different than any other day. Everyone went to work. No one had any clothing. Um, nobody had anything special. Th there wasn't anything to distinguish it from a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And he didn't realize it was Shabbos the person. And he was just so, um, like when he told it to him, it was like ludicrous. That was the way, 
And people had simply forgotten where they were and what they are, and that was it. So he said, he now realized when they were matter to eat kidneys and maybe chametz in the ghetto on Pesach, the Rabbanim made a special Yerotzen to say beforehand that Rabbanim Shalom, just like you told us not to eat chametz, not to eat kidneys, now you're telling us I'll speak of to eat it, and we're doing Yerotzen, 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 that we should go back to normal matzah and so on. And he said he realized the point of that was so that it doesn't become humdrum, and they don't forget it. Someone wrote that he felt Yiddishkeit fell apart in Europe during World War I in the big cities. I think he was speaking about Vilna, this person, he was from Vilna. They, 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 they had to eat horse meat. There was, there was pekoch nefesh, there was nothing else. But once people got into it, when the war was over, it was very hard for them to get away from it. So um, the danger lies in just kind of this becoming the new norm. I think if a person, before he goes into a place that he feels he would rather not have, if a person just says, I'm doing it because this is what the job requires, you know, be with me. Something along those lines. So that, so that it doesn't become norm. It, it, that, that he doesn't lose that sense of, 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 you know, distance. I have to do what I have to do it. I once, I saw a story um, they told Rebecca Bear Weissmandel was an extraordinary Goyen. In Europe, he was already known as a big Goyen. During the war, he worked tirelessly and saved thousands of Jews. He failed at saving tens of thousands of Jews, but thousands saved. He ended up in America after the war. And someone told the Satmar Rav that Rebecca Bear had gone on a Shabbos, he had gone someplace. You know, he rode the train to, to try to get a visa for someone, save somebody, and he cried on the Chol Shabbos. And the Satmar was very moved. And his Nakuda was, he had done it hundreds of times, Rabbi Chobar. But it was always Pikuach Nefesh being Docha Shabbos. It never was Shabbos had stopped losing its, its Chshivas um, to him. And the Satmar was very... That's, that's how he, he learned up the story. Um, I think the same thing, understanding that we need to do something to, to not allow it to become the new normal. And each person in his own way, um, you know, that, that a it, person can say two words before that, you know, I'm doing this because I have to do it, and you rotsen that it not affect me. A anything like that is somewhat helpful to keep a person, you know, to keep a division between this and what his normal life is. Similar question. Um, it used to be in the, probably the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, you went to work, you went worked for a company, you did good work, you went home at night. No, the company didn't have policies that had to do with anything besides whether you were a good accountant, a good actuary, a good lawyer. Nowadays, companies, especially newer companies, they also see themselves as social um, social warrior, social justice, they take on causes as a company, and you as a from Jew, um, you're, not, you're not in the leadership roles, you, you don't own the company, but you have to go along a lot of times, you maybe have to put a, a new pronoun, a pronoun after your name on your signature line, to say that people should call you a he, um, other, other ones, does, other companies do other things. How does a year approach, you know, the, the, the company that turns these social justice causes and expects their employees to follow suit and not just do their job as you know companies used to just have you do. So you know, every generation has its sessionals. Um, the, the, when companies weren't so into social justice, Shabbos was a real hassle, wearing yarmulke was a real hassle. You know, every, every, every minus comes with a plus, every plus with a minus. Anything that you have to do and you're doing because it's company policy, so you don't because it's company policy. Um, anything that they expect of you to do extra credit, that's what you have to be wary about. To do something where you feel it's not that it's company policy or that you lose your job if you don't, but people look at you different as scans or whatever it is. I think that's where the real issue is. And, and, you know, we, we like to, Baruch Hashem, we've, we're, we're, 
were a lot more accepted in many ways than it was. And feeling uncomfortable with other people is not something we used to. But sometimes you'll feel uncomfortable. So if it's not threatening your job, it's not, you say, you know, I, I, I really respect people doing it. I express my, you know, my social justice causes differently. I have issues or something like that. If it's not something that will affect you really in terms of income and, and you know, stuff like that, you sometimes have to make that stance. And um, even if it means it being considered different or somewhat unusual, it used to be wearing a yarmulke was something that people were, were very intolerant of. It's, it's a price you have to pay for being, for being different. Um, so, you know, I, I, it depends each case. It's like, you know, sometimes you have to ask a Shaila if this is appropriate. Not appropriate is a problem. But generally speaking, a lot of it has more to do with a personal comfort level. And in those cases, if we know the Chathila, I'm different, and this is called being mapdly Yisrael from Umasolam, and um, I need to be proud of my difference. Do you engage in conversations, let's say LGBT? No, you, you, you are try, you trying to explain no, to them your vantage point? Or no, you just, no, you do not want to explain your vantage point. What you want to say is, I respect everyone's beliefs and people for who they are. I don't feel it's productive because it's very complex. You'd have to really understand Bible and stuff. And you know, I, I let's you know let's each respect each other as we are and let's move on. So uh, it, there's nothing to be gained. There's no way you'll explain it, and you'll only get yourself more entangled. I, finding a, a a neat formula for saying, you know. I respect you and I see how much it's important to you. I have a system of values that's very important to me. It's difficult to explain it, it's, it's complex. I spent years studying it and understanding it. There's no point to it. Let's, you know, let's respect and I respect every person no matter what they are. You can say that sincerely. I don't ask people what their, uh, you know, what their uh, affiliation is and what this is and what that is. Every human being is a human being. And uh, I'm proud of everybody here, and that's it. It's something along those lines. In um, staying on career for a minute, in the Chavis Lababas, it says that everything is from Hashem, and a person's career choice should be in sync with their tefunas and nefesh. Yes. Um, do you have to be concerned with that a career choice, taking a career choice, that your tefunas and nefesh is not going to make you a whole lot of money, and therefore that might affect you know your shalom bias, your kids, your future? because you have a Nutia towards something that's a, a, let's say, a low hourly rate um, wage versus, you know, a job that... You, you, you mean like somebody wants to become a Rebbe or something? I, I, would, I don't think this is... <laughs> knowing the person who asked that, I don't think no, I don't mean, a Rebbe, In Cincinnati and Cincinnati, you know the school president is very, very concerned, but... Uh, <laughs> um, should you weigh this? Let's say, that I think this was with somebody early on in his career. Should you weigh this Tchunas nefesh? argument when you're looking for your career, or should you look at something that you could do effectively and bring home a nice parnasa? So you do have an obligation to support your family and children. That's a real obligation. Supporting your wife and children is, is exuba. And if what you bring home is subpar, let's say you want to be an anthropologist, and it doesn't make a lot, and you can't really support a family, then you, you can't just engage in it because you have tchunas and nefesh. Um, just like if, if, if uh, you have somebody who, who's parnasu bidava aser, I don't know, a, a woman opera singer or something like that, they, they, you can't say, well, it's an isoyan, and that's that. But once you have um, within the range of what's good and appropriate, and it's just a question of having a more comfortable lifestyle, so if it's, if, if it's if it means sacrifice to a degree where it creates strong by stress, then again, it means you, you, you want to support your family at a subpar level. Different people have different levels, but, but people get married, there's a certain expectation at what level the, and the family is going to need to support it, and you have to live up to that. But if, let's say, within the range of what would be considered fine, you have things that could be very good or less good, in a big picture, if a person is doing something he's happy about, fulfilled about, is less tense, less stressed out, more positive, 
and it has a lot of positive effects on Shalbayis and on children. A person being happy and content and fulfilled is, is a bracha through and through. And, and couples can recognize that. So it's true that he could possibly do very well doing, but everything is supposed to lead to some positive feelings. And if, we, we're, we're, if, if what he's doing is very, makes us comfortable physically, but he's stressed out and tense and nervous and upset, then, then what's the point of it? So getting, so, so A, that, that the person provide the level of Parnassi that one expects of him and you know, his situation when he got married is an olive within the realm of things that can do better or, or just decent, being personally satisfied and accomplished is, is, is um, it, it creates a whole different atmosphere at home. Okay, moving on to community. In a small town, if you're a decently technical guy or you're a geshekta lady, you're usually going to be chapped up to be involved in some new initiative, a board, a fundraiser, a project. How do you balance this flattering achrayas with doing the things that you want to do, you want to learn a little, put your kids to bed, go out with your wife? Um, or more importantly, what would you say the decision tree is when, when trying to weigh whether to say yes or whether to say no to some, one of these requests? Um, so f first of all, it, my father, whenever he would give us Musa at the table, he would usually give a little mashallah story, and then he would conclude by saying, obviously we're not talking about anyone present. You know, you know that was like you know, wegen unwesende retmenit means you know about those present we're not we're not discussing. That was that was a clue that we need to internalize the message. An out of town question. You know, there are different angles at it, but if people would understand taking on um, responsibilities for the klal builds a person himself in a ruchnistic way. You know, if we think of it as something that's giving me no benefit, not, Gashmi is not ruchnius, and I'm just wasting time, but no one else is going to do it, so I have to do it. Again, that's do, when you have a negative, a, a, a negative uh, bias or something, it's not good. But if you understand that doing it is something which, um, which builds a person, the sense of achrayas, the sense of doing things, and so on. Uh, I know that the old rabbis, Rabbeinu Zechari Bracha, pointed out that every person who had served as president of our yeshiva, um, their children were Bnei Torah. And it was a sort of a random collection, and, and, and they were matzich, and he, he would also point out that he felt this is, when you take on responsibility, there's a certain schar for it. You get a free Mishaber Rabbi Shabbos, it doesn't cost you a nickel. You know, to get the but, but people would understand it's a fulfillment. Um, people want to be Marbet Torah. So if somebody would you like to be or Shiva, yes, I want to be Marbet Torah. Establishing a school and making sure everything's in place, from the funding to the building to the staff and everything, taking that Achrayas, that's our Batsas Torah. So, so if we would look and understand it as a fulfillment, learning how to deal with people, people grow. You have to deal with all sorts of people, some easier and some not so easy. And you learn how to deal with the people, you change. So, so Avodos HaKodesh gives you a lot of ruchniistic um, development. And, and it, so at least we can look at it as positive. Right, so that's, that's in general getting involved. But I'm talking about specifically, I think the question's more specifically, you're already involved, the question is, you know, at what point do you know what your limits are? How do you make that decision to either get involved in yet another organization, or when do you say, ad can, let somebody else do it? So, unless a person is extraordinary, where, you know, he's God's gift to humanity and nothing can function without him, I, I think, you know, that, let's say somebody... Wife laughing. What? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I would say, I, I, I just picked somebody that I worked for, and I, Rabbi Noach Weinberg gave his life for his cause. It was, it was unique, you know, and there are people like that. For most people, if you're beginning to feel that you're shortchanging everything else, 
um, you, you, you're not there for your wife and kids when you really should be. You, your own your own star and things are really falling apart. Then it's time to you know to draw back a bit. If it's just a bit of pressure and it's a little more free time you would have liked and used it for that, then I think a person should do it. He gains from it. What is the nowadays we have a lot of you know there's a lot of talk about mental health and people getting more involved <coughs> in mental health than, than they used to. Where's the line between rabbanim, mechanchim, people in you know rabbinic roles and mental health professionals? Does one need to ask a rav whether they should go to therapy or not? Is a rav qualified to make that decision? Is the person just on his own supposed to realize that this is a good thing for me? What's the, what's the, what's the I guess, the, the decision that when a person has a feeling or somebody tells him this is probably a good step for you, what's the rub's role and what's the, the therapist's role in taking that next step? So if it doesn't affect anything real ruchness, let's say somebody, somebody has some, something that's really stopping him from functioning well, he, he's overly obsessed with stuff, he can't get his act together, all that stuff, there's no reason why a rav needs to be involved. Um, sometimes, when you have a delicate issue, the therapist may not be somebody from a Jewish, and you want to know, I'm, I'm taking some risk by going to therapists like this, is that appropriate or not? Um, that's a question. When there's another person involved, um, you, try, you, know, you try to get someone else to get help, a rav may be helpful in helping the person make that decision. Generally speaking today, it's become a fairly independent, I mean divorced from um, it, it become, it being an ideology per se. It, 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 we hope that he's not going to foist any shitas or deus. There are problems, but generally speaking for a lot of things, it's not going to be like that. So I, I don't see a reason why I should be involved. It's the rub's job in general, as, as, a, as, a, um, as somebody who cares for the Kehillah, if there's somebody who he feels needs help and doesn't have the wherewithal to understand that he needs to reach out for help and get it, so the rough job is to coax him to get it. Just like somebody's neglecting his health badly for whatever reason, it's, and the rough sees it and, and there's no one else around, he, he should be, it's part of the, of the general custodianship of, of, a, of a Kehillah to tell a person, you, know, you really need to get help, you don't look well, and so on. A person a lot who's not functioning well, he, he's, he's not getting along with people, or himself is depressed or something wrong, if no one else is telling him, then a Rav as, an, as a sort of a custodian of sorts, somebody who takes care of Akela, should encourage him to do that. The person is embarrassed, shy, just doesn't understand it. But if a person himself wants to go to a therapist, and there are no issues, therapist is a front person, the issue is kind of a very neutral issue. It doesn't touch anything. I'm not sure why the rub would be involved at all. Okay. Um, the next question were two different questions, and I'm going to use it to ask a third question. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a bit of a mouthful. Obviously, none of this was, was sent in from here. Um, in small out-of-town communities, social life you know, plays a central role. We don't have families here necessarily, so our friends are, are our family. There's, con- there's a constant barrage or a gr- of great family events with the objective of furthering achdos and, and creating Kiddush Hashem. But how does one draw the line between healthy social life and perhaps, you know, somewhat of a breach of, of Gidrev Kedusha? Um, and does that vary based on the age of my children? So I'm going to contrast that with another question received. I moved here a number of years ago and really love it. I love raising my family here in a wholesome, warm environment. Recently, there's been an influx of, say, more yeshivasha people who have brought, you know, sort of what, what they brought with them to our town. And I'd love to sort of say that this is, you know, our town is what it is, and it's a beautiful place. And, you know, they should be respectful to the certain flow of the way things have gone. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take both of these and ask a, a separate question. I'm going to ask that, obviously we're not looking to wade into community issues here, um, <laughs> what advice would you have to both of these sides? You know, they both learned in base marriage, they might have even been roommates, who knows, 
um, as to how to, they both grew up a little differently and lived their life a little differently, to how to live together harmoniously and be able to respect each other, um, even though, let's say, they come from different places and obviously they have different thoughts on how things should look like. So it, it makes a big difference when you're dealing with imposing yourself on the community as a community or creating your own values for your home. Let's give an example. Let's say somebody feels it's appropriate for teenagers to socialize, boys and girls. Um, someone else feels after the age of 13 it's not appropriate. Now, there is one type of decision of, of creating a movement one way or another that requires one level of, of thought about it. And there's a second level when you're dealing with your own family and the values you raise them with. There's nothing wrong with telling your children your gedarim and what's appropriate. Um, as long as you can tell them yesh for yesh. You can tell them, you know, some people feel it's okay and it's fine, especially a smaller town. M my feelings are not like that. And Girik Tush require that children at a certain age stop socializing, you know, flagrantly and kind of, uh, you know, it, it's one thing we need a Shabbos table get something when it becomes all thing. Um, and you can, and, and you can tell a child, this is our values. That's perfectly legitimate, and he needs to respect that. And you need to teach a child to respect the other people. We're not them, you know. They 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 feel it's right, but we have to do what we feel is right. The issue is, if you're in the minority, is that a healthy way to deal with a child? That that's that's an issue. Now, if you want to go ahead and make a community takana for A, B, or C, then thinking about what's been the flow until now. And, what, and how many other people are trying to impose on and vice versa becomes an issue. When it comes to your family values, the respecting the other person is not by diluting your values. It's by teaching them to understand there's others also, and they're different, and there's a different perspective, but we need to do what we think is right, and these are the reasons why I think this is right. Um, that's a balance between tolerating other people, respecting them, and, and respecting yourself and your values. I'll, I can, I'll, let me add an interesting story I once heard from somebody. Um, the, <laughs> we often said, the, today, um, every, we live together in the same communities. In New York, you have Hasidim and Yemenites and modern Orthodox and, and, and everything and anything together. And people know each other and they, you know, it's, it's kind of, we're familiar. In Europe, it was a different world. The Ger, Ger was very involved in Agudas Yisrael, and the German Jews were very involved. Rev. Rosenheim was the Secretary General, and even though Poland and Germany share a border, it, it, was, it, it, it was like going from Mars to, to the Earth and back. It was two worlds. So once the Ger Rebbe sent his son-in-law, Rebbe Shemayi Levin, who later became um, a member of parliament, Faguda, he sent him to Germany to speak to Rabbi Yaakov Rosenheim to take care of a certain issue. Whatever you have to do. He told him, stay there for Shabbos and invite yourself to his house for Shabbos. Okay? His father told him. Father told him. So he, he went to, to uh, Frankfurt. He spoke with, with whatever he had to speak. And then he said, I have a request. I intend to stay for Shabbos. Could I be by you for Shabbos? Shabbat Rosenheim told him, I'm very, very on it, but um, I'm not going to change my minhagim to accommodate you. If you're comfortable with my minhagim, that's fine. If not, not. So he said, well, my father obviously knew what he was doing, and he told me to come, so I'm coming. In Poland, in by Gerachsidem, the women ate in a different room. In Germany, they ate on one table, and they would ask questions on the parasha, and in, in uh, Asia Chayel, the men would, would make a circle and dance, you know, but very, very, very different. So he was a bit uncomfortable, but his father told him, told him. At night, he's, he's, he's laying in his bed, and in the middle of the night, he hears a beautiful voice sitting and learning Gemara. In 
and he peeks out of his room, and he sees Rabbi Yaakov Rosenheim sitting over a table learning with such a masikus, really sweet. And he walked out and he said, you know, I, I, was, I was awoken by your learning, and it's so marvelous. He said, you know, I worked very hard all week long with all the askanas and so on, and I don't have time to learn, and Friday nights I'm up and learning. And he was very taken by it. When he got back and he walked into his father-in-law's house, his father's first comment was, I wanted to show you that there are other ways as well. In other words, he wanted to sensitize him as a future, somebody's involved in Aguda, which is meant to deal with so many different um, parts of Israel, that there are different approaches and each one does what's right and they have a complete picture and you need to know who you are and you have to respect other people. So there's absolutely, it's wrong for you to dilute your values because someone else has his values. It's also not appropriate that you knock other people, unless they have a dinner for Shoyim or not Shoyim or so, to knock their values um, to, to your children. Um, staying in Chinuch and getting into more of the, the school's role, um, obviously the schools here are amazing. Um, how do I know when it's appropriate for me to advocate for my child? And when should I sort of chill out and relax and let the school handle it? And then another question, which is sort of similar, is when do I, when do I let my passion burst out if I'm you know, passionate about a certain issue? And I know that people who come in you know, guns blazing, they usually get the school to do what they want in most cases. So do I lose out by my professional you know, demeanor that I have with the school? And when do I know, when do I, when do I know within myself when I have to be strong and when to just let the school deal with it? Those are obviously um, difficult issues. Um, I think, you know, a parent's tendency is to be very caught up with their children's issues. First of all, it's good for initial emotion to blow over and then to be able to look at it in a calm way. We need to understand when you come in with guns blazing, you may get your way, but, but it's also very destructive to a school and a school that feels terrorized by parents, um, it demoralizes the school and you're really putting a lot of holes in the boat, that they lose their passion for teaching, and, and uh, you get a very blasé you know, place that wants to be yates everybody and, does, and, and really doesn't have that fire. So, so you actually are inflicting damage. You need to be able to sometimes ask somebody that you feel is wise and understands, because people tend to become very, very overwrought, and understandably so. Child is the most precious thing, and you know, some it, 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 it's, it, it's hard to feel that we're rational or dealing with our children. It's supposed to be that way. So, one, give it two or three days for your, for your passion to cool down. Speak with somebody close to you who you feel is a bardas and can see an issue with two sides and can honestly tell you does he think that you're right or not? And if it's, and understand. You know, it, it, there's, there's a difference between a child doing better or worse, or a child really going to have to struggle. Helping someone else maybe sort you out these issues, because it takes a tremendous toll on a school when people express and vent their fury and so on. And, and I can just say as a comment, it, the amount, Baruch Hashem, Yeshiva Gdola, it's not, it's, parents are not involved much. I don't, you know, we, we don't have that level. You know, parents will call me once a, a, a year. There's, it's not, you know, it's not that type of school. But when you're in the younger grades, parents are very involved. And the amount of complaints when things are not good uh, way overshadows the amount of thank you when things are good. Um, and the fact that your child is one of a group He's not a ben yachid. The fact that every family has its own unique, you know, idiosyncrasies, and the school as a general place can always tolerate it. Those are things that you need someone to help you sort it out. It's very emotional. It's very personal. It's it's you know things are very very people become very rational. 
and uh, I, I'll, I'll share a story. You know, sometimes you're just blown away by irrationality. I um, I met some a stranger who his son had not been accepted to me yeshiva, and he was I, I, he is a chance meeting someplace, and the person had a litany of. It's usher absolutely for yeshiva not to accept anybody today. You need a bezdin of 71 because the fascists and the Steinmetz said so, and the said so, and Meshavena said so, and this person said so, everybody from A to Z, on and on, how a yeshiva must accept everybody, it's the right thing to do, and on and on. When he finished, I asked him, I said, you know, by the way, the, 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 the city that you live in has a very, very good yeshiva. Why just send him there? He says, you understand, he says, they accept everybody. I don't want to send my son there. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I looked at him. He was dead serious. I, I, I was like, I, I said, this is one of the best ones I ever heard. It, it, you know, it, it's like, it, it beats, it beats uh, you know, irrationality. It, it, but, but, but the person really felt that way. He, he really, really felt that way. And, and when you feel that way, you're not, you're not helpful to your child. And you, you see parents that it's your son, it's your child, and it's understandable that it's hard for you to see it objectively. But for your own child's benefit, you need to get input from someone that will see it, and you need to accept. And for the school's benefit, the teacher's benefits. If, so if you want to take a school out, your kid out, it's a decision. But if you want to be in the school and you want the school to function well, when you get these type of outbursts, what, what teachers learn to do is to just sort of deaden their nerves and, and sort of become a lot less passionate, a lot less, you know, that, that's what happens. So, so I suggest these are situations where finding somebody who's a bardas and not, as go, not only going to empathize with you, but will tell you when you're wrong. And, and you have to learn to accept that because Baruch Hashem, we're extremely biased when it comes to our children. That's very positive. But the outcome of that, that to think that we're thinking rationally and that we, you get parents who push the child to a super achieving school, Badafka, because um, no, he, he's just, he's not challenged enough. And it's down deep, it's for their own covet. And the child does not do well there. On the other hand, you get a child with problems and a parent is in denial. Nah, it's not my child. It's, it's because the other kids are, are, are influencing, but he's really, and and you know it, it it's a, it's it's we are very very prejudiced. It, it means who we are and what we are. And having an objective person that we're willing to listen to and be mevatla or das to him, person needs to be somebody who's has seichel, understands a bit, is objective, and we're willing to listen to him. I have another question that doesn't really fit into any criteria. Um, obviously, it's a man of town also. Um, you read in some magazines, there's been advertisements, multiple hachshirim for different chocolates that have CBD elements, even though I'm sure they're non-addictive as they say they are. Obviously, we at the Cincinnati Jewish Journal don't, don't print such ads because they haven't been offered to us. But, um, <laughs> you know, what is nowadays that it's now legal in many states, um, you know, husband comes home Thursday night, says he wants his wife to make a certain type of brownies for Shabbos, the wife says, go jump in a lake. Um, he says, "Why is it any different than you know than my friend having bourbon?" What's the what's the approach as this I guess comes more into the world that we live in? Not even the world we live in, but at least the, the states that we're living in, and it becomes a thing that you're smelling on the streets. What's our approach for even just ourselves, even bring, leaving the kids out of it, go into the kids? But what, what's the Tyra approach right now? So, you know, alarishayim on mitzdarim, anything that is its purpose is to deaden our minds is should be anathema to Torju. The um the Rambam writes that people drinking to get high is worse than he uses very, very strong terminology than people getting together and going to the bathroom together. That's what he says. Rambam says it in the he says that because he says one is at least a bodily need, the other one is a person is deliberately taking his seichel and, and shredding it. So 
why do we need to get into behavior that that's what it does? The, the, the reason good simcha is when it brings out the best in us. When, 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 sim, when what we do is just an anesthesia for thinking and or taking responsibility for problems we have, that becomes, that's, that's the worst thing. So, you know, drinking is something when as much as come in, it's not, not positive. So why do we need to get something else? And I, I think uh, we can draw a line. Baruch Hashem, it's not been legal, so, um, or else it means that the one day a week when a person is supposed to have an extra neshama yaseira, a person basically is, is, is killing his first neshama. I mean, you know, whatever you see on a person's face when he's high is nothing, it's not a neshama. Uh, um, and, and I think it, it, it does not have a mockum in it. Anything which blows your mind is, should be anathema to, to, to a yid and to betar befrat. Um, regarding Corona specifically, one of the byproducts of, of, of a year of some people davening bichidus has been the long-term effects of davening bichidus, in that they lost the the drive to always be by minion that we used to have. Bar Mitzvah used to try to be like Cal Ripken and getting you know fifty davening straight without missing, and now it's you know I daven at home, I daven in shul. It became sort of equal, even as vaccines have come in and most people are going back to shul, there's still a good part that used to daven and be very macronatil tzivar and no longer. How did they get out of that rut and, and get back into where they were pre-COVID regarding this Indian specifically? I think finding a time, let's say like pre-Rosh Hashanah or something, where things will have Hashem, completely baited and so on, and, and making a campaign, listen, it was an Isayan. Akash Baruch tested us. And one of the tests was, I will derail you for a while. Let's see if you've been coasting or you really want to daven. If you've been coasting, so once you stop the train, it doesn't move. And I think making a strong campaign, and I, I, it's, obviously it's not the only community, it's every community has the same problem. It's it, understanding, a, underscoring the significance of davening shul, forming a kehila, explaining that a backyard minion does not form a kehila does not create the positive things that Kehillah has, and and making a drive for people being macabre themselves to come every day for the next month. Yes, it, it, once the train stops, you have to start it again. That was, I think that's one of those lesionos. Okay, I want to thank the Rashiva. I know the hour is a little late. We have Baruch a lot more questions, but we'll get the Rashiva back to be able to answer them. Okay. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's been an amazing Shabbos. I, I really, like I said, I was very unprepared for the level of what I saw in terms of B'nai Torah and, and, and seriousness, and everything about it. It's really amazing. Kehillah Baruch Hashem. We do have a Silver Spring young woman who lives here, I know, a classmate of one of my children, and uh, other people we know. So Baruch Hashem, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to be here. Okay.